The world of agriculture technology is vast and constantly evolving, with new innovations and companies emerging at a rapid pace. At AgTech Media Group, we understand the importance of staying updated and connected in this dynamic industry, and that's why we're thrilled to announce the launch of our new AgTech Company Directory, a comprehensive and user-friendly resource designed to help you navigate the complex landscape of AgTech innovators. More than just a list, it's a curated collection of companies leading the charge in transforming the AgTech sector from startups pioneering new farming methods to established companies adopting cutting-edge technologies. Our directory spans a wide range of leaders dedicated to advancing agriculture through technology. Whether you're a farmer looking for the latest in crop monitoring tools and investors seeking promising ag tech startups or a researcher interested in sustainable farming practices, ag tech directory is designed to cater to your specific needs. You can filter by sector, technology, size, or location to find exactly what you're looking for. To learn more and to claim your company listing, visit agtechcompanies.com. If you are starting a vertical farm and don't know where to begin or which technology would suit your needs, then reach out to the experts at Cultivated. As indoor farm brokers, they help connect you to the right technology and ensure your project is successful. Best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Visit cultivated.com to learn more. And that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com or click the link in the show notes. So I'm always full of ideas, what we can do, what we can improve, what we can test. And very often there are just people who say, no, no, this cannot be done. Why? Just tell me why. I know in some sense I'm an ignorant, I'm a psychologist, so probably I'm not aware of something. But I really learned that usually people say that something cannot be done because they're afraid they're not able to do it. And I'm always telling all my team that not knowing it's okay, it's fine. They can say, I don't know, I don't know the answer. And I'm totally fine with that. But this is a different mindset. Welcome to the Vertical Farming Podcast. Weekly conversations with fascinating CEOs, founders, and ad tech visionaries. Join us every week as we dive deep into the world of vertical farming with your host, Harry Duran. Vertical Farming Podcast Season 6 regular listeners, welcome back. So glad to have you coming back each and every week for this podcast, which I've been doing since 2020. And I honor and respect your time. And the fact that you keep coming back means a lot to me. And you're sharing the word as well because the podcast is growing. And for that, I'm truly appreciative of you, the listener, for all the work you do to keep this show going. If this is your first time listening and someone directed you to this episode, if you're looking for conversations with fascinating CEOs and founders of the leading vertical farming companies from around the world, I've got great news for you. You're in the right place. I'm your host, Harry Duran, always looking to engage with you on a one-to-one -one level with you, the listener. It's really meaningful for me. I've been podcasting since 2014. Some of you may not know my first show is actually called Podcast Junkies, and it's interviews with my fellow podcasting peeps from around the podosphere. And I've been doing that since April of 2014, and we crossed the 300 episode mark this season. We're also humming along with this podcast as well. We are at episode 76, which is amazing. It's been two plus years. I've met so many fascinating and interesting folks through these conversations, but also expanding my horizons by going out and meeting a lot of you at the conferences that I've attended this past year. So I'm really grateful for everyone I've met at Indoor AgCon, Indoor AgTech NYC, and AgriMe in Dubai earlier this year. And it's been such a great experience, and I look forward to doing much more of that in the coming year as well. In case you missed last week's episode, we spoke with Eric Lang, president and co-founder of ZipGrow. 
We talked about the importance of education in the ag tech industry and why local is better than organic. Really engaging conversation with Eric. Make sure you check that out if you haven't already. This week, speaking of ag tech NYC, it's a conversation with Magdalena Swartzka, co-founder and CEO of Nangatech, who I saw speak there. What's interesting about Nangatech is it's a company that's creating nanogas technology to boost the productivity of farming. And Magdalena joins us from Warsaw. We talk about her background in psychology and the benefits that nanogas and nanobubble technology has in ag tech. Magdalena discusses the low barrier to entry for farmers to utilize this technology and how it can even be used to benefit animal breeders. It's something I was not well versed on, and it really piqued my interest when I saw her speak at AgTech NYC. And I'm so glad we were able to learn a little bit more. I always like to explore the different corners of the AgTech world, vertical farming world, and all the different technologies that are being put to use. And this was a really fascinating and interesting conversation with Magdalena. I'm sure you'll learn a lot as well today, too. Good news, we have a review that's come in via Podchaser. It was written by CEO97539. It's a five-star rating. Thank you so much, CEO. It says, I found this podcast on Audible via my mobile, but I followed from Podchaser on desktop to complete this review. Talk about persistence. I got to love that. Uh, Thanks for the information. I am binge listening on all archive episodes. Okay, side note, when people say they're binge listening, you get super extra five stars from me because as a podcaster, it's something that I've done personally when I know that I find a show that I really love and am passionate about. And the fact that you're doing it with this show means a lot to me. So thank you so much. Let's continue. I'm a female founder in North Carolina seeking to begin a full cycle vertical herbal farm to create a unique herb tea loose leaf wholesale supply chain. The interview with Allison of Artemis was exactly what I needed. Well, CEO 97539, thank you so much for taking the time to work your way through the podcasting ecosystem and leave me that review. I really, really appreciate it. And like I promised to anyone that's listening now, if you take the time to go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP, nothing would make me happier than to read your review out on a future episode. Okay, let's jump into this conversation with Magdalena. But before we do, a few words from the folks that support this show. This episode is brought to you by Indoor AgCon 2023. I'm so happy to have been working with the team last year. Indoor AgCon 2022 was my very first indoor farming conference. So it was really eye-opening for me. So I'll always be grateful to the team there for rolling out the carpet for me. (laughs) And I really had a good time meeting a lot of past guests and excited to join them again this year. Entering its 10th year in a row, it's the largest trade show and conference for vertical farming and CEA, and it's returning to Caesars Forum Conference Center in Las Vegas on February 27th and 28th of 2023. Once again, they'll be co-located with the National Growers Association show as well, which is a really good fit for them. The conference keeps growing, and this year it's doubled in size. The expo floor now has more than 170 booths filled with new product resources and solutions to explore. You'll hear from experts, including CEOs, growers, investors, and others in the field during this full-scale educational conference. As always, you'll be able to connect with peers, grocers, and other potential new business partners at their great networking events. I haven't even gotten to the best part. The team at Indoor AgCon has given listeners of this show 20% off their full access conference pass. All you have to do is use promo code VFP, as in Vertical Farming Podcast, and sign up at indoor.ag. See you there. Regular listeners to the show will know that we are also fans of the work being done by the iGrow News team. The team at iGrow has been kind enough to provide a free month of their paid subscription to the Indoor Vertical Farming newsletter. 
and those will be available to the first three listeners that send in a review. So ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP, the first three reviews that come in. Once it's sent, send an email to harry at verticalfarmingpodcast.com along with your preferred email, and we'll be sure to get that set up for you. So Magdalena Shavarska, co-founder and CEO at Nangatech, thank you for joining me on the Vertical Farming Podcast. Thank you, Harry, for the invitation. I'm super happy to be part of this episode. And I was really also very happy that you were interested in my story and in what we do at Nangatech. Yeah, it was interesting because we, for the benefit of the listener, I saw the brief presentation you did. It was at Indoor Ag Tech NYC. Is that right? Yes, in New York this year. Mm -hmm. Okay. And have you been doing indoor farming conferences regularly or was that your first? Being honest, it was my first one. Okay. And how did you hear about it? So I was searching for some conferences worldwide and I found this one and I thought, oh my God, this one, it looks really, really cool meaning it's really modern, active for indoor farming. I see the list of speakers. I see the list of guests, many names. I know, I know, meaning I heard about those companies and the CEOs. And in fact, it's a very beautiful story how it all ended up that I was here because I didn't plan that at all. I was thinking that maybe because it looks really interesting, maybe we'll join with the online pass. So I could hear the panels and just you know see what's happening and hear the discussions. And when we contacted the organizers, telling them that we're interested in the online pass, of course they, they just show us the price list and they said, okay, figure it out if it works for you or not. Yeah. And meanwhile, they just called us back like two days after the call and started convincing us that we need to come and that we are a perfect <laughs> match for them for their startup okay. showcase and that it's going to be brilliant for everybody, for them, for us, for the guests. And I thought, okay, like if they're thinking it's a great idea, then for sure it is. I have to trust them. And in fact, I wasn't disappointed. Okay. Set some context here. Where's home for you? So it's Warsaw, Poland. It's okay. my home city. Okay. And that you were born and raised there? Yes, I was born and raised here. So I've been living here literally since forever. <laughs> What's your favorite part of the city? Probably the city center, I would say. Okay. And not traditionally the old town because it's pretty small, but the modern parts of the city center. Now Warsaw has been changing a lot since like decades or two and became really beautiful and vibrant city. Still, it's not huge, so you have mm -hmm. this really very nice feeling. You are not overwhelmed by the amount of people, but still there's a very good vibe here. Have you ever okay. been? No, I've never been. I, I have actually my ex-wife has been. She had to go there for work and she came back and she actually got me a t-shirt. <laughs> so <laughs> I do have one and I've heard good things about it. I think it's one of those cities that you know people might think they know a lot about, or maybe, you know, I grew up in the 80s, so maybe people have a different perspective of it, but what do you think is the thing that most people don't realize about Warsaw? That it's very modern. Yeah. Okay. It is. In fact, it is. And also very open to change, very yeah. open-minded. Like, for example, we have one of the most big vegan scene when it comes to restaurants. Oh, okay. So nobody would normally guess that. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're a little bit traditional country, traditional region. But sure, in sure. fact, we're very open-minded and future-oriented. And that's where you studied university as well? Yes. Yes, yes. I studied psychology. Okay. And in fact, my dream was to be a scientist. 
So after okay. I graduated from psychology, I stayed at the university for a couple of years. So I did my PhD and I was an academic as a psychologist. What made you want to go into psychology? It's hard to say because since high school, I just knew. I just knew I want to go to psychology. And everybody <laughs> was thinking about, okay, what books did you read or something? What makes you do that? And in fact, I was always very curious in humans and in all our motivations, why we do what we do, why we make decisions. For me, it was extremely, extremely interesting and also since forever. So it was a very easy choice for me. I didn't have yeah. you know, this situation that I wanted four faculties and I didn't know which one I should yeah. pick. How has studying psychology been helpful for you in your career? Oh, a lot. It may sound surprising because I end up at architect company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's not a clear path from one to another. Probably if somebody would tell me a decade ago that <laughs> I would end up as a co-founder and CEO of innovative, active product, probably yeah. I would think this person is insane <laughs> and I would start <laughs> laughing. But uh, there is a story behind it, how it all unfolds this way. But psychology is helping me a lot every single day, I would say, because I was specializing in customer behavior, business psychology, economic psychology. So how we do make financial decisions, why do we invest, yeah. why do we spend, and also in work psychology. So I was learning a lot how to manage teams, organize the workflow, motivate people, how to give feedback, how not to give feedback, yeah, yeah. all those things. So for me, the transition from science to business was a beautiful opportunity to see how those all the things I was learning and also at the next level, I was teaching to my students really work in real life. And yeah. it's really been very changing experience for me. It shaped me a lot and it's helping me all the time. So talk a little bit about your journey as we'll get into this, the origins of Nangatech. But before Nangatech, outside, once you left university, you know, where did you think you were going to be working and where did you end up? And then talk a little bit about your experiences there. So, yes, at some point I, I had this feeling that although I enjoyed being a scientist a lot, especially the lecturing part and doing the research part, I thought that maybe not all the parts of being a scientist are a perfect match for me. And after I quit science, I ended up as a co-creator of small private equity a real estate fund. So something totally, totally different. But it was a great experience for me because I was in charge of creating teams there. So I was attracting talent, creating teams, organizing all the work, also working with the investors. So the psychology, the background from business psychology helped me a lot there. So it was a great journey there. Yeah, no, you were just talking about the experience you had in the company. The time you had in those other businesses helped provide you with a good foundation for business. For business, well. yes. And it was amazing. It was really amazing. It was a great opportunity for me to see how I perform in a business world, because I know how I do perform as a scientist and it's a totally different environment. So it was always so great because of that. What did you learn about yourself? Oh, it's a long process, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> but still, we are getting back to psychology. Yeah. Because studying psychology, when you are studying psychology, reading books, reading all the theories and case studies, you have to reflect about yourself yeah, all the time. So in general, it truly really helps with raising awareness. And I learned a lot about myself from psychology, I guess. Mm, and also, 
the fact that you need to do you have different classes and sometimes you also interview other people observe other people you carry out research but always with people so you keep on thinking about them and also helps it helped me a lot to think about myself do i behave in the same way or do i do something differently so i guess it's still psychology yeah, it's interesting because it's an important foundation, especially, and it's one of those skills that you can use everywhere, like in family life and business life and meeting new people. And also understanding people's motivations, I think is really important, especially in business and especially when working with partners. And I'm sure some of the other work that we're going to be talking about pretty soon. But I think it's almost like a skill set most people probably should have and don't realize they need to improve. Yes, I agree with your point of view. It helps a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, understanding other people. But also it helps a lot when you understand yourself and maybe when, you know, something is happening at the moment, I'm just being myself and I just don't reflect <laughs> a lot. But then after a meeting, for example, I can sit and reflect, okay, I did that because I was afraid or I didn't know what to say or I was too self-confident or whatever. So also it helps me a lot to see myself and to also align to situation. Should I be more supportive or should I be more straightforward maybe to somebody? So, and it also helps, I guess, people who are sitting with me, if they are my colleagues or partners or future customers, but I understand them better thanks to the fact that I understand better myself. Yeah, that's important. And that feels like it's something that will never end, like this self-improvement, this drive to continue to be better, to continue to learn more about yourself. I'm, I myself am like trying to learn more, a little bit something new every day, like self-development is something that's really important for me. And it feels like that's one of those things that I'll be doing for the rest of my life. There is no end in this process. <laughs> <laughs> What could be frustrating for some of the people that they're never done and never finished, that we're never a finished project. But this is, I guess, for me, this is extremely, extremely beautiful that we are not finished projects and there's always path we can unfold and there's always ways in which we can improve. This is extremely beautiful. So talk to me about the origin story for Nengatech. Like, where did the idea come from? And, you know, who were you talking about it with? And, you know, how did it start? Okay, so it started with me coming to my family business. So I quit the real estate business and I decided, okay, maybe it's time for me to join my family business. My dad's been an entrepreneur for almost 50 years. He created from scratch a really successful business. He's plastic container manufacturer, pretty well known in Poland and our region as well. So he has a big factory. And in fact, it was his dream that his daughters, me and my sister, one day that we'll come and join him and help him with the company. But being honest, for many years, I wasn't prepared for that, mentally especially. Like for me, the vision of working with my family was close to, close to the nightmare. I thought mixing family life with work life is a recipe for disaster. <laughs> too much tension, too much emotion. Yeah, yeah. and. I was thinking that it cannot be a good experience, but probably I was thinking this way because I was in my twenties, but being in my thirties, my point of view changed and it became clear that nothing is black or white. So That's true. it could be a disaster, but it could also be <laughs> many other things. But you never know until you try, right? Yes, that's right. So I was thinking that I do have some skills 
that could be very beneficial for my federal company, the whole psychological background, and also the fact I do have a fresh outlook. I'm new to the industry, new to the company as well. I've been working in different places, in different environments. I learned there a lot. So for sure, I can bring many things to the table. And I thought, okay, I will do it. Let's see. Let's see how this project will unfold. And in fact, it was way better decision than I was thinking it would be. So this is great. And this is what led me to creating Mangatech, in fact, because we are a spinner from this main company, our family company. And what's the link between plastic and nanobubbles? Because that's also totally not clear. <laughs> yes, and people usually are curious how it all happened. So in fact, plastic do have a very bad reputation. We know it yeah. all. But in fact, the production of it could be pretty environmentally friendly. And at my federal company, we've always been searching for ecological ways, improvements. It's very modern factory. And at some point, engineers were searching for ways to optimize the procedure of cooling the production line, something like that. Okay. And they came okay. across nanobubbles because they have extremely good properties when it comes to heat transfer. And when they start learning, they really got excited about nanobubbles as a phenomena. And they start talking with everybody like, wow, we discovered that, <laughs> would you like to hear? And when I started to get involved myself, I started just reading about it out of curiosity because nanobubbles are just pretty appealing story that you know, they exist in nature or nobody believed in them. But now people, the scientists do believe in them. It's a huge discovery. They have great potential. So when I started reading about them, I had this thought in my head that even if one third of things I'm reading about are true, this is going to be huge and we need to try it. And that's how it happened. How far back does the history of or the discovery of nanobubbles go? You mean scientific discovery? Yeah. So probably it started around 80s. Okay. But not till two decades ago, there weren't any devices to really measure them, observe them and see how they behave. So the science is really looking into nanobubbles only for like 20 years, probably right now. Interesting. Okay, so now you've discovered or the scientists at the company have come across the nanobubbles and seen that there's some benefits in there. You're doing some discovery yourself. You're investigating what could be the potential uses for these nanobubbles. And so what did you discover? So that it has many uses, in fact we decided that we'll dedicate our product to agriculture as it has very many beneficials to plant cultivation and there are also very some you know, strategic reasons to do so as well because with nanobubbles it all depends on the gas you are using so you can make a liquid to biogenic when you use oxygen what we are doing for the plants but it could be biocidal if you use ozone it could surface clean the surfaces so it has very wide potential yeah and so you said you decided to look at the approaches and the uses in agriculture. What made you want to do that? Curiosity, really. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I was in this amazing situation that I did have resources to create a team of technologies and biotechnologies. And at the beginning, being honest, we were just having fun. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't tell it to my, my father because <laughs> probably he wouldn't like this part yeah. of just yeah. having fun or the family resources. But that's the truth. That's the truth. So it was amazing journey of you know, experimenting all the time. And because there wasn't very strict plan what we're going to do. So there were no deadlines, no pressure, no investors waiting yeah, yeah, for the yeah. outcomes. So we're really for 10 or 12 months 
we're just playing with the technology, seeing what we can do, how we can improve it, when we do get results, when we don't, because that's a process of experimenting, like you yeah. fail a thousand times to understand just a little piece of the puzzles. So that's how it's all started. Really, like, it's incredible, I think. But then when we get, when we reach some point, so we knew that, okay, we do have technology, we know how to do it, we learned a lot, and we have these great outcomes, we just cannot waste it. Like, we say, okay, end of fun, <laughs> let's move on to something else. Yeah. So we decided that we did so much and we discovered so much, we accomplished so much that we're supposed to make it a product and offer it to other people so they can really take a benefit because just having fun, it, it's great, but we could do way much more. And this is a very impactful solution for the whole industry. And then that was the point when I found the mission. Okay. There's way more than fun. There's a mission there and probably pretty important one. When did you realize that you had a product and what were the early challenges in describing this service or this offering or the benefits to potential clients? Like those, obviously everyone knows in business, those early customers are the toughest because you know, you have to convince them to give you a shot to try something that, you know, probably hasn't been proven or hasn't been tried before. And you cannot see it with your bare eyes. That was my, one of the, my biggest worries that we're mm -hmm. offering something. We're telling people it will work really well for them. And they even cannot see it. We're creating bubbles that are so small that the water looks the same for people. Yeah, and yeah, we're yeah. charging money for that. <laughs> so I was really worried about this part that and in states, it's different. The nano bubbles are pretty, maybe not well known, but people from the industry know the phenomena and know how nano bubbles can be used. But in Europe, situation is different. It's not well known almost at all here. So there's very low awareness of nano bubble existence. So I was really thinking that this is, as, as you just mentioned, that this is going to be one of my biggest challenge. So convince people that I do really have something for them that they could benefit and could be interesting for them. And I was in shock, being honest, sorry, because people started selling my product to me. For example, our biotechnologists were searching for partners for pilot studies, and they were also worried that they will have to make plenty of calls, explain a lot, people will hang up on them and things like that. And I'm always trying to give people all the good vibes and good energy. And I was saying, okay, you need to probably make 100 conversations. And if you will make 100 conversations, I promise you we'll have five partners. And they were like, okay, okay, it's doable. We can have 100 conversations. That's a good assignment for an engineer because it's math, right? They just have it's to math, be like, okay, clear. <laughs> it's clear, 100. There's a goal. <laughs> yeah. But in fact, probably they did something like 15 calls. Yeah. And from 15 cold calls, just we're calling through random growers, we got seven partners for pilot wow. studies. Wow. So really people were extremely interested. And I guess partially it's because of us, but also partially it's because of the oxygen itself. Oxygen as a gas has very beautiful connotation because it's life, we breathe with oxygen, there's oxygen therapy for people. So people have this feeling that this is something safe, first of all. And this is something that has to do with health. Yes. So even if they aren't sure it will work at their farm or not, they know it's safe and probably there are big chances it will work for them. Yeah. I feel like it's like the only challenge or I think the way to, you probably sold it is that 
there's only an upside. <laughs> it doesn't seem like there would be much of a downside to at least try it. I think that was one of the selling points, I would imagine. Yes, there's no risk. Okay, they can risk a little of their time because they get involved with us, but there are not other risks. And also I was pretty surprised because I was thinking that agriculture is kind of traditional industry, especially, you know, the outdoor one. And I was very, very surprised that it's not. Many people are very open-minded. They are searching for innovations that they want to become more ecological in their actions. At the end of the day, that they do really care about their plants. Like I was more also focusing on business side of the product, like how much they can save on fertilizers, how much the outputs will grow. But many, many of them, many of the growers are really thinking of the in general well-being of the plants that it will help their plants and they will stay healthy. And for them, it's like a baseline, like healthy plants, healthy farmers, something yeah. like that. <laughs> and I was really glad to see such an attitude that they are not only, you know, business concentrated, money concentrated, thinking about statistics, but they were always really thinking about what they can do to improve their crops. What were those early calls like from the engineers? Like, how are they selling the product or how are they describing the benefits and maybe you know an overview for the listener of exactly what benefits the farmers are seeing from using this technology in general maybe i'll start with the benefits so we can increase the efficiency of crops up to 20 percent okay the plants in general grow better because the oxygen is a biogenic gas and when we deliver more oxygen to the plant root systems just the plants grow way better they grow faster and they grow bigger so this is one of the most visible outcome of the technology also what's super important is that the health of the root system that we can suppress pathogens with oxygen and especially in hydroponics very often there's a situation that the roots just suffocate there's not enough oxygen so our solution is just a perfect fix for the situation as we deliver oxygen. And it's like a natural cure for the problems. And in fact, the problems, there are all the kinds of root rots, causes huge production losses. So prevention of these diseases is also very important for the farmers. Now let's go to present time. Like how is the acceptance now? Who are you looking for to partner with? And, you know, other aspects to the product that you're offering, or are you just looking to get into different markets? Yes, we are going to the market next year. So now we are just like pre-selling our products. We are searching for uh, distributors, active distributors. When we're always searching for people who can collaborate for research programs as well. What's been the biggest challenge for you to get the word out about this? And then also, What's involved for a farm to implement the solution? Like what do they need to do? Not a lot. They just need to buy our product. <laughs> no, really, it's, it's extremely easy. And also it was very, very important for me that it was designed this way, that there's a really low cost for the farmers of implementation. So this is in fact plug and play. So it's super easy to be implemented. And everyone who has an irrigation system can take benefits of it. And it's easily scalable. It comes in different sizes when it comes to the amount of water that needs to be treated. So it's super easy. It's super easy. It's plug and play. Yeah. You press the on button and <laughs> you start your oxygenation journey. Yeah. And then in terms of maintenance or support, how is that handled by the farm? 
there is almost no maintenance at all. Okay. They do have to do some cleaning. But in fact, there is no maintenance at all. The devices have oxygen generators, so they generate oxygen from the air. Farmers don't need to do almost anything. Okay. And so how big is the company now? How big is the team? It's not big at all. It's up to 10 people. But in fact, we're using many resources of our main company. So we do have many advisors. We use knowledge and skills of many engineers from our other company as well. So that's the reason we can stay small till now. <laughs> <laughs> and so how were you thinking about when you had the opportunity to present at Indoor Ag Tech NYC? Like, uh, was that the first time you had given a presentation about Negatech? It was. Okay. In fact, it was. <laughs> and how did you prepare for that? And what was the response? How did I prepare? Okay, I'll be honest with you. I watched some people doing pitches on YouTube. <laughs> That's good. That's how you learn. Yeah. That's how you learned. I contacted some of my friends who are CEOs themselves. Then they were pitching a lot so they could give me some, you know, guidelines and help me a little bit with what I'm supposed to say and how, what works, what does not. And I didn't have lots of time. I know, short. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I just tried to do my best. And what was the response afterwards? Many people were really interested. And they were surprised there was a European company doing nanobubbles because they never heard of us. And for me, it wasn't surprising that they never heard of us because so it was the first time we were just presenting our product on a global event. But they were really, really interested. And also, some of the people were interested in other properties of nanobubbles. Like, for example, safe non-chemical disinfection as well. And so are you looking at figuring out where the opportunities are for these other applications of nanobubbles and then trying to figure out how to go after those different markets? Probably we'll go to different markets as well. And probably some of this process will just happen naturally, as many people right now are just reaching out to us because they want to test if the nanobubbles will work in their industry. And like, for example, many animal breeders came to us recently. And also, it's, I'm very surprised because we are not overselling what we're doing. So we're very honest and we're saying we didn't test our solution on animals. There are scientific papers saying that it will work, but we're totally honest and clear. We didn't test that. And people are just really okay with that. They say, okay, we know, we know, that's fine, that's fine. I will <laughs> test it. <laughs> What's the application for animal breeders with nanobubbles? So also the health of the animals could be improved. They're supposed to be less prone to diseases. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There are some papers showing that also they gain weight faster and they get mature faster. So a little bit like with plants, probably. But in general, people are searching for solutions to prevent the diseases and to prevent the amount of antibiotics they are using. This is a big worry for the animal farmers right now. And many of them, they would like to become ecological farmers. And that's the reason they're searching this ecological solution. They can improve the health of their animals. Is this the, the first time you're the CEO of a company? Yes, it is. How's that been? Really good. Because I probably, I do have this natural tendency to lead. <laughs> okay. That's <laughs> so, good. So, in fact, it's, I guess it really works well for me. It's very challenging. They're, um, you know, taking all the responsibility and really owning your decisions. Mm, it's important. That's really important, especially that the field is new to me. We never done anything with agriculture whatsoever. We're outside of the industry. It has some very strong benefits because we do have fresh outlook. 
we think out of the yeah, box. That's true. But the fact is, we were never in the box. <laughs> so there are many things that are new to us and we need to learn. And that's the reason why we're always searching for meaningful collaborations and partnership with growers, because we learn a lot from them. And this is very important for us to hear what they're saying, how their work looks like, what they're searching for, what are their worries, what is a good things according to the farmers, not according to us, because for us it's obvious, yes, it's our technology but what they are really searching and what they are emphasizing. So for me, being a CEO, it was a very empowering as well position to be in. And I think it's a very good experience. And I will stay CEO. <laughs> I have a marketing tagline. You can change that to thinking outside the bubble. <laughs> okay, that's a good one. <laughs> My marketing brain is always working, so I'm always thinking of these ideas. So it's interesting because, you know, when you do speak to, to people in the industry, have you had a chance outside of that conference to connect with more people in the ag tech world? Yes, yes, we did. In fact, we are a part of many programs for active startups. For example, EIT, this is a European Institute of Innovation and Technology, and they do have many programs for startups on different levels. They're trying to support them. Also do lots of networking between active startup, growers, all kinds of partners and investors. So yes, I did have a chance to meet a little bit in this industry. And being honest, especially the vertical farming part, the indoor, active, this is amazing world. It's been a fascinating couple of years just having all these interviews with these CEOs and founders to hear their origin stories, their inspiration, and their motivation. And and it's interesting because everyone seems to have like the same desire to, you know, do better for the planet through indoor farming. And I've noticed that as a consistent trend. Yes, I guess the whole modern agriculture just magnetizes all people that are very, very open-minded and are super innovative. And they really want to change sound because probably when you don't want to change anything, you just stay with something way more traditional. And don't get into all those troubles of trying to do something innovative. What's the ag tech vertical farming space look like in Poland? It's pretty small. It's developing well, I would say. Currently, probably we have like three or four farms. So that's not a lot. And all of them are pretty small. But I'm sure like I know all the co-founders and CEOs of those farms. As you just mentioned, they're just amazing, amazing people, really goal-oriented. They really want to make vertical farming big in Poland. And I'm sure that most of them will succeed. So it's developing pretty, pretty fast right now. I imagine the wake-up call that happened as a result of COVID really, you know, opened people's eyes and companies' eyes and to the dependency on supply chains and having local access to food. We're seeing this in so many different remote areas. I'm actually going to be flying to Dubai at the end of this week for the AgriMe conference. And it's obviously an example of an extreme climate that is seeing the need to have access to food. Singapore imports, I think the number is maybe 80 to 90 percent of their produce. And I'm wondering if, you know, more and more people are becoming aware and what you're seeing or what you've come across in terms of this importance of having fresh food here in the States. We call them food deserts, these areas that don't have access to fresh food. And I'm wondering how, as you've become more involved in this industry, if, if this is be something that's becoming more and more present for you. For sure, partially it is. But in general, we don't face such a big climate issues in Poland, like climate is moderate. 
So there is still plenty of land that can be used for agriculture. But I guess what's more important for us, as I mentioned before, talking about people from Warsaw or from in Poland in general, we are becoming really aware when it comes to ecology. So there are lots of vegans right yeah, now yeah, yeah. in Poland. And, you know, it goes together with different things. So vegans not only don't eat animal products, but they also think about environment a lot. So they want to buy local products. And for them, vertical farming, it's great because it means no chemistry, no pesticides, fresh product, no deliveries, no carbon dioxide, emission, so on and so on. So for us, this is a very important motivation. Not only the climate changes, because here locally, it's not a huge problem. Probably it will be in three or four decades. But now it's more about environment. Makes sense. What's a tough question you've had to ask yourself recently? Did other people ask me tough questions? <laughs> <laughs> because now I'm really into mindfulness, being grounded. So I really try to clear my head when I'm alone. I'm just really trying to stay focused and think as little as possible just to have the resources when I'm working. That makes sense. Yeah, it and helps a lot because if you don't stop and your head is buzzing with thoughts all the time, it's a lot. It's a lot. It can cause a burnout. I've been more consistent with my meditation practice every morning. So I take the time to do the meditation. I have a new journal. So now I, I write two pages every day on the journal and do intentions. And I think everything, especially business owners and people who are busy, and I have like an overactive mind. So, you know, the minute I wake up, I'm thinking about the day already. So I think to your point, it's very helpful to have a practice that helps calm your mind, you know, especially business owners and, and people who are in, in your position, you know, it's, you have to have something to balance that or else you lose sight of really like your mental health, which is really something that a lot of people are talking about nowadays. Yes. And sometimes people just tell me, I don't have time for that. And my response is, you just need to have time for that. It's like so crucial for your well-being and also for how you perform at work then that we should have time for that. Yes, but just answering your question, sorry, yeah. about what's one of the toughest questions I'm asking myself. Probably it's always about people. If I will find all the right people I need. So searching for people, building team, it's always a very difficult journey. How are you thinking about that problem? That I will solve it. <laughs> <laughs> and that those people will just come. Yeah. They will come. One day I just need to be patient and I will find them. Or they will find me. Like it works both ways. But in general, it's a problem for, I guess, all the entrepreneurs. But when you are a startup and you are not well known, where you are no name in fact, then it's even way more difficult to find the right people. And our task is super ambitious. We need people who know a lot, have lots of experience and also are willing to work within innovation. It's a very specific environment and it's not for everybody. Usually people say, oh, great, yes, I'm all in. But <laughs> then <laughs> after a month or two, I see that it's really not for them, that they do have a different mindset and some kind of less complex environments would be a way better fit for them. It's a different mindset and a different way of thinking. The entrepreneurial mindset, the ability to be comfortable with change and to you know realize especially from a startup mentality that every day could be different and you could be asked to wear many hats and you have to be comfortable with that approach and some people just like to show up into their desk and be given their assignment and do the same thing every day and that's just 
you know, the way they are and the way their mind works. And they like the discipline of doing the same thing every day. And then there's some people who like the adventure and the challenge of figuring problems out. And I think what you're looking for is more of the latter to help you in the growth of this business. Yes, exactly. The first one just, they don't enjoy working with me. I, yeah. I would put it this way <laughs> because they think that I'm demanding. Yeah, <laughs> I always, yeah, yeah. Uh, keep on asking questions and I do have new ideas because I really like the R&D part. I really love it. So I'm always full of ideas, what we can do, what we can improve, what we can test. And very often there are just people who say, no, no, this cannot be done. And I'm like, <laughs> like why? Just tell me why. Yeah. I know in some sense I'm an ignorant, I'm a psychologist, so probably I'm not aware of something. But I really learned that usually people say that something cannot be done because they're afraid they're not able to do it. And I'm always telling all my team that not knowing it's okay, it's fine. They can say, I don't know, I don't know the answer. And I'm totally fine with that. But this is a different mindset. When I say, I don't know, okay, I will go and I will check, I will read, I will call somebody, I will do experiment. And when you say, no, no, this cannot be done, it's like end of the story, point. That's true. It's a big difference between saying this can't be done and I don't know how to do it. I'm gonna find out to see if maybe there's another way to tackle this problem. It is. Very interesting mindset. And we're working on, I have another site called Vertical Farming Jobs. We're trying to ask people who are interested in looking for jobs in the industry to fill out what we're calling like a collective, like a vertical farming collective. So I can send you the information afterwards so companies can post jobs there. And as well as talent that's looking, companies can sign up for a monthly membership to be sent any new people that are in coming into the industry and are looking and are submitting their resumes as well. That's a great idea. Because it's just like a totally new sector, totally yes. new kinds of jobs. Amazing. So what's something you've changed your mind about recently? Being honest, I don't know. Because I'm the one who is in charge of focusing everybody on the goal. <laughs> so because, as I said, there are many potential things we can do with nanobubbles. We're experimenting a lot. So I'm the one saying, okay, 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 come on. <laughs> That's our mission, agriculture. Do you remember? So probably usually people do have more visions to do something else. And I'm the one just doing the discipline. I'm like a bad cop, probably. I ruined the party <laughs> sometimes. Well, it's important to have that discipline and the vision of where you see the potentials. Because I think what you're seeing is the opportunities that exist in this space. And I think you know that this technology can be beneficial. So it makes sense to really be focused and see where are the opportunities, where can you connect, where do you need to go, who do you need to have conversations with, and I think it feels like that's an assignment that's going to be keeping you busy for some time now. Oh, for sure, for sure. That's a lot of work. As we come to a close on the conversation, I'm curious how you're thinking about maybe, you know, the next six to 12 months, you know, if you have a roadmap, where you think you'll be focusing your efforts in terms of the growth for Nangatech. So as I told you before, we're going to the market next year. So really focusing on that and preparing that to launch our product and to introduce it to our local market and to our region first. So that's probably the plan for the next 12 months. And so you've listened to a couple of these interviews. A lot of your fellow peers listen as well. So there's a lot of folks in the industry that listen to this podcast. So I want to give you the opportunity 
to have the stage similar to your presentation, <laughs> but for this audience, you know, is there a message? Is there anything that you'd like to share? Is there an ask? Is there something you want to make a request for your colleagues in this industry of vertical farming? No, thank you. We're very open for all kinds of collaborations. And as we really want to know as much as possible about nanobubbles and how they can be beneficial to plant cultivation, and there are still many questions that aren't answered. At this point, we know a lot, but they interfere with many, many factors. So we're always searching for collaborations with partners who want to know more. And also people who create vertical farms as well. And are you planning to attend any upcoming conferences? I'm going to Lisbon next week. There is a venture summit about Actec, for example. Yeah, there's so many conferences coming up now and all across the globe. I see things in Africa and India. Like I said, I'm going to Dubai. Obviously, everything that's happening in the States, it seems to be a lot of awareness in the space and a lot of companies entering. So it feels like a very exciting time to be in here. And I'm glad we had the opportunity to share your story. Yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> so the best place to send people to learn more is nangatech.com. Anywhere else people should go to connect with you or the company? They could see our LinkedIn profile as well. Okay. So we'll make sure we have all those links in the show notes. And so if people are listening to this, you could look the details of this episode and they'll find ways to connect with you and learn more about Nankatech. Great. Magdalena, thank you so much for sharing your story. I really appreciate you uh, staying up a little bit later <laughs> to have this conversation. It was yeah. worth it. Thank you, Harry, for having me here today. Thanks again to Magdalena for coming on the show and sharing her story. As always, full show notes available at verticalfarmingpodcast.com. Special thanks to our season six title sponsor, Cultivated. If you're looking into a vertical farm and don't know where to start or which technology would suit your needs, reach out to them today. And best of all, as always, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. I saw that in action at AgriMe in Dubai earlier this year. Can't say enough good things about the team. And we're working on some closer partnerships in 2023. So stay tuned for that. You can learn more at cultivated.com, and that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com. Just leave out that last E. Podcast production marketing provided by Fullcast. Learn more at fullcast.co to see if a podcast is perfect for what your brand needs today. And as a reminder, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. Nothing makes me happier than to read those out on future episodes. Okay, I got to make sure I get you excited for next week's episode, which is actually going to be later this week since we're doing two this week. We have a great conversation with Ndun Hanayaka. I know I had promised that earlier, but we moved some of the episodes around. So this time, for sure, Ndun Hanayaka, CEO of Gaia Australia, which will be out this Friday if you're listening to this on December 2022. But if not, it'll be out already and you could already listen to it. So as always, thanks for everything you do to support this show. Here's to your health. Thanks for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, which includes any links mentioned in the episode, as well as a full show transcription, visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There, you can sign up for our email list to be notified when new episodes are published.